0: Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Crystal Sparks. Amen, amen. I love this series that we've been in. How many of you guys have enjoyed this follow series? It's been awesome. Brian has done an amazing job um, speaking every week. And so I'm excited to get to bring you part three of this series. If you've missed any of the past messages, you can go online and check them out. I've been listening to the podcast over and over again because I think you just never grow beyond grace. And you never grow beyond that Jesus, just following Jesus and really grasping that it's not about our behavior. It's not about what we do, but it's all about who he is and what he's done. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. And John chapter 8, 2 through 11, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, because we have a saying here at the church that paper never forgets, if you will title this message, Follow Freedom. Follow Freedom. John chapter 8, verse 2 through 11, it says this. Early in the morning at dawn, he being Jesus came back to the temple court and the people came to him, the crowds, and, and he sat down and was teaching them. When the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, they made her stand in the middle of the court and put the case before him. Teacher, they said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? And this they said, trying to test him, hoping that they might find a charge on which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted with their question, he raised himself up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and went on writing on the ground with his finger. And they listened to him. And then they began going out, conscience stricken, one by one, from the oldest down to the last one of them till jesus was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court when jesus raised himself up he said to her woman where are your accusers has no man condemned you and she answered no one lord and jesus said i do not condemn you either go on your way and from now on sin no more Let's read one more scripture before we get started. Romans 8, 1 through 3. This is a pretty famous scripture. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that is, was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Can we pray together as we start this morning? Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Father, that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I thank you in this house that every ear be open and receptive, that every heart will be softened to the seed of the word of God. Father, I declare in this place that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, I was going the other day, and my kids don't ride the bus, and um, but we are the crazy people that pick up our kids and take them to school. And any car riders, any car riding moms out there, car riding dads. Actually, I'm just not even going to lie. Brian does most of the driving of the kids to and from school. Um, you don't want to see me in the morning without makeup and all that. So, and Brian wakes up that beautiful every day. It's really amazing. So he um, he's the primary taker of the kids to school, and so I'm usually in a a. Tri- to get caffeinated to get woke up for the morning. And so, but on this particular day, I was taking my kids and and there was buses in our neighborhood picking other kids up. And my kids just asked me, they said, mom, we've never rode the bus to school. What is it like? And, and I was like, I was a bus rider growing up, and I'll just tell you that I hated the bus. I hated the bus. Any kids hate the bus? Any other kids? Okay, this message is for you. Your parents may start picking you up and taking you to school. Brody loves the bus. Perfect. Brody Tittle. He loves the bus, he says. Well, I hated the bus. And, and where I lived in my neighborhood, we were the first people to get picked up on the bus route. So literally, I was walking to the bus stop when it was still dark outside. And then uh, we had to ride around and pick everybody up before we got to the school. And then on the way home, we were always the last stop. So everybody was off the bus, and it would just be me and the last few people at that bus stop. And, and what I, why I think why I hated the bus is because I had a girl named Vera that rode the bus with me. And Vera hated me. I don't know why she hated me, but she had made up her mind that she did not like me. And I, you know how some people, when somebody doesn't like you, it's like they never take sick days. They're always there. It's like you keep praying for them to, like, move neighborhoods, transfer schools, like, get sick with pneumonia, anything. I, am I the only one? And But Vera was always there. I mean, she had perfect attendance. And so th- I started riding the bus with Vera in sixth grade. So, Vera, if you're listening to this word to your mom, good to glad you're listening and so thanks for hating me um anyways but she would pick on me and and without fail not only did she not like me and I always had to ride the bus with her Jimmy she had every single class with me it's like they just copy and pasted my schedule to hers every year and I would walk into class I'm like are you kidding me and it didn't matter what I wore I would show up at the bus stop there was one time I remember we were ghetto um we were poor people all the poor kids in the house where you at and uh, I—that was back when Keds were cool, and I didn't have Keds, so my parents bought me Ted's. And so I didn't have Nikes; I had Mikeys. <laughs> And so, you know, the off-brand. And so I got a new pair of white kids, and I had my socks stacked. Where's all my people at? Come on. And I had my socks stacked, you know, black and white on the one side and white and black on the other because, you know, keeping it fresh with my white kids. And I felt so cool. I was walking to the bus stop real careful that day because I didn't want to mess up my shoes. And I get there, and Vera saw my shoes, and she said, you can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. And I was like, crash. I was like, she's hating on my Ted's. And so all this time went on. It didn't matter what I did. She always didn't like me. She was in my athletic class, and she would tease the way I ran. She always said I ran stupid. And because of that, I never ran for years. And then one day I decided, you know what? I'm going to run just to prove her wrong. And I haven't stopped running since. I ran four marathons, half marathons in the last year, so take that. And so, But she would be in the cafeteria, and she'd watch what I'd eat, and she'd pick on me. I'd be going down the hallway thinking, okay, finally, I'm free of beer and it's like she would just jump out of a locker and just start doing all kinds of mean stuff. She was in my English class. She would make fun of the way I diagram sentences. Who makes fun of people how they diagram sentences? I mean, it didn't matter what I did. Whatever I did, it was always wrong. My day began with Vera, and my day would always end on the bus ride home with Vera. You know, and as silly as that is, that's exactly what condemnation is like in our lives. And I think a lot of us, we live our lives with, we won't call it Vera, but these negative thoughts that are constantly looming over us. In Romans 8, it tells us this. It says that there is now for now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I love the way the message translation says it. It says that when we live in condemnation, it is though a dark cloud follows us everywhere we go. You know, a lot of times in life, I think we live our lives that way. It's like a dark cloud is following us everywhere we go. And condemnation's one job, it's one objective, is to point out every flaw that you have. Everything that's wrong with you, everything that's not right with you, every mistake that you've made. You know, I was saved for many years, and I had been following condemnation. I thought I was following Jesus. And I, I had listened to these negative thoughts, thinking that it was God telling me that I wasn't good enough that I wasn't measuring up, that I can never get it right. And I remember one morning I was brushing my teeth, and I was hearing these negative thoughts as I was getting ready for the day. You're just not a good mom. You're not a good enough wife. You just keep messing up. You're never going to be any good. You're never going to do these things right. And I was listening to it, and I was praying like I always did every morning, Lord, just help me just be better, please. This is so hard trying to live this Christian life. And I remember hearing God's presence, his spirit, tell me, that isn't me. I wouldn't tell you what you're not. I'm not here to tell you who you are. And I remembered for the first moment, I realized I thought I was following Jesus, but I was really following condemnation. I was following those negative thoughts. See, here in the story that we opened up with, I love this because in John 8, 4, it says that they caught her in the very act of adultery. In other words, let me just put it this way, in the very act Keep it PG. We all know what the very act is. I, I want to ask the question to these Pharisees what were you doing in the room when the very act happened? I mean, let's just ask the question that needs to be said. But here's the truth is, is they, to find her in the very act, it means they probably followed her around for weeks waiting for her to mess up. They had walked around waiting for her to make one mistake. And isn't it interesting that when they came to Jesus, they didn't point out all the good things she had been doing. They pointed out the only mistake they could find her doing. And I'll just ask this one step further. Isn't it interesting that they only brought her and they didn't bring him? Last time I checked it takes two to tango. But condemnation it, it does this it puts a spotlight on your mistakes. It puts a spotlight on your mistakes. But I love this cuz here Jesus is and they say what are you going to do and and he says he who is without sin let him cast the first stone. And let's read this again. It says when Jesus raised himself up he said to her woman, "Where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you?" And she answered, "No one, Lord." And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Either go on your way, and from now on, sin no more. See, Jesus knew that the end of condemnation would be the beginning of her freedom. And if you're going to ever begin to live a free life that God's called you to live, to be able to live in God's freedom and his grace, you have to first realize that no one is condemning you, that God isn't condemning you. And the voices that run through your mind pointing out every flaw, that is not from God. That is evil at the very root. And it's one objective is to try to separate you from God and his presence. And so it, I want us to begin to begin to live a free life. You know, it's interesting Uh, we were saying bye to people one day after service and as we always do and, and people are like, yes, have a great week. And this lady came by and we said, thank you for coming today. And she said, well, thanks, but I won't be back. And I was like, okay, well have a great day. (laughs) Thanks for coming. And, um, she said, I like to go to a church where I feel the weight of my sin heavy on my shoulders. And she said, this church is just too much, you guys have too much grace. Like, it makes me feel good and that God loves me. And I like to go to a church where they preach against sin, and I feel heavy when I leave. And I thought, man, that is so sad. But can't we just be real? We're addicted to feeling bad about ourselves. Because we think that feeling bad about ourselves means that we're holy and that we're attaining righteousness. But that's not the truth at all. When you feel that heaviness, that's condemnation. Conviction comes on your life to remind you who you are. Condemnation comes on your life to tell you what you're not. See, condemnation in the literal sense of the term, what the author is writing here, he's using that word because people that are condemned is saying that they did an act that's worthy of punishment. They did an act that's worthy of punishment. And so by feeling bad about ourselves, what we're doing is we're punishing ourselves. We're shaming ourselves. We think we can shame ourselves into righteousness. You can never shame yourself into righteousness. And so to get free of condemnation, we have to first know what condemnation sounds like. And some of you, that sounds like a weird word, right? Condemnation is kind of a weird word. We don't use that on an everyday basis. But here are the six things that condemnation will tell you. you, got, you ready? Brian's ready. Thank you, babe. Write it down in case I lose my notes. Number one says this. He'll, uh, condemnation comes to tell you this. This is who you are and this is who you'll always be. Have you ever had that happen when you make a mistake and when you mess up the first thought that comes in your mind? It says this is who you are and this is who you'll always be. See, condemnation wants to push you down. It tries to get you to identify yourself with the sin. See, read this again in uh, J- Romans 8, 3. It says that God did not did by sending his own son in the likeliness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. See, we read this that he condemned the sinner. He condemned sin. Right? Are y'all following me? He condemned sin. See, we think that we are condemned. No, your sin was condemned. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Ephesians 4, 24, you can look it up. It tells us to put on righteousness. Put on righteousness. Paul later tells us in Romans, Romans to cast off every sin and every heavy weight. So in other words, just as when you got dressed this morning, you chose which shirt to put on, Right? You can choose which thought pattern to have. You can choose which lifestyle you're going to have. I'm going to put on righteousness and I'm going to cast off sin. See, my shirt doesn't become part of me when I wear it, it doesn't mold to my body unless you're my son and wear the same underwear for a week. It's questionable. Might be molded to him. I don't know. But even then, it's not part of him. It's something you put on. See, sin, even though I make a mistake, it's something I put on. But just as easily as I made that mistake, I can put on righteousness. I can put on forgiveness. I can put on his love. So the the condemnation always wants you to think this is who you'll always be. This is who you are. When you start to hear that, remind them, remind condemnation, no, I am the righteousness of Christ in Christ Jesus. I am who God says that I am. The second thing that condemnation will come to tell you is that your future is done. Your future is done. It's going to tell you because of your past mistakes, there's no way you can have a great future. See, the sad thing about condemnation is it causes memory loss of everything good that we've ever done. Have you ever been going through and and you're doing good and you're trying to be a good Christian and then you mess up and you lose it on somebody? I lost it this week at the the baseball game. I went wild. I nearly got kicked out of the game. I was literally so mad at the other team. I was screaming at the coach. I was that mom. And then this lady, if you're listening, hello, um, she screams from the other side. She goes, grow up, lady. This is baseball. I was like, no, you didn't. No, you did not. And I was so mad. My blood pressure was like through the roof. And then afterwards I was like, man, I'm such a terrible pastor. I'm out there like losing my cool, nearly getting thrown out of a game. I'm y'all's pastor. I'm sorry. I'm passionate. This is who I am. But isn't it funny how condemnation, when it comes in, it makes you forget about everything good that you've done. It makes you forget that used to, you would lose your temper, lose your cool all the time. And yeah, you lost it once this week, but you're doing better than what you used to do. And it makes you, oh, you didn't read your Bible today? Yeah, but you read it a few days ago, and that's better than what you used to do. See, condemnation will make you lose track of the good things, and all you can see is the bad. That dark cloud begins to settle in, and all you see is dark around you. But I want to let you know that you are doing great. You're here today which means you're doing something right. I'm proud of you. Number three is condemnation will tell you that it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. There's no way you can overcome it. It almost breeds hopelessness. It's like it just breeds hopelessness. You look at it and you think, there's no way I could do this. And see, again, the word condemnation says that you are sentenced to punishment for the act that you made. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten and died for us. In other words, he already took the punishment for us. So when we're living in condemnation, when we're following condemnation, what we're saying is the price Jesus paid on the cross wasn't enough, and we'll now pay the price ourselves. We're saying, Jesus, you, you didn't pay enough. I'll just take this one on my own. But let me just tell you, friend, you cannot overcome sin on your own. Grace can overcome sin for you. And it's not bigger than you. Compared to the cross, it is nothing compared to Jesus and all that he's done. Number four, the fourth thing that will happen is it will tell you that God has left you. God has left you. In Psalms 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins, from us. Now, the way that we would read this normally is as far as the east from the west, so far God has removed us from him. That's usually what we think. Because when we make a mistake, we feel like we're so far from God. But friend, let me tell you, when the moment you ask for forgiveness, God removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it would be like me taking off my watch and giving it to somebody in the back. And then now once I gave it to them, it's gone. It's no longer mine, right? I would have to make the conscious effort to go after my watch and to go find it. Are y'all following me? That's the same way when you ask for forgiveness, it's removed from you. It's no longer yours. You would have to go try to find it. And the Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west. In other words, there's no way you'll be able to find it. There's no way you'll be able to locate it. That's how far your sin is removed, not you. In Romans eight one, it says that therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you guys are really good at losing things? Is anybody in this place really good at losing things? I am gifted at losing things. It's one of my spiritual gifts, Matt. And um, it's really awesome. If you want to lose something, drop it off at my house. I will lose it for you within the week. Um, it's really true. And so my son, we lost his social security card. We still haven't been able to find it. It's We did. I like to say Brian was joint partner in the losing of it. Although it was solely my fault. But, anyways, um, but I'm really good at losing things. So I'll lose my keys. I lose all kinds of things. I have to be really like conscious when I'm getting out the door to try to find everything I need uh, before I leave. But I've never gone to leave the house and thought, oh, do I have my heart today? Don't forget my lungs. Better pack my lungs, got to find my lungs. I've never lost my heart or my lungs. Has anybody ever lost their heart or their lungs? Like you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden your heart just drops out. You're like, whoops, it's in the lost and found. No, why? Because it's in you. The Bible tells us for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no way for God to lose you or for you to get away from him because you're found inside of him. You're in him. In other words, it's impossible for you to get removed from him. That God, you are found in grace. You are found in forgiveness. You are found in love. You're not found in your mistakes. He could have said, for those who are found in mistakes, for those who are found in mess-ups. But he said, those who are found in Christ Jesus. But condemnation wants you to believe that he's left you. The next thing is, it'll tell you that everyone is judging me. Everyone is judging me. Have you ever felt like that? In other words, what you're saying, because I'm judging myself, everybody else must be judging me also. And if anyhow, our inward thoughts become our outward thoughts, and the thoughts that we're thinking, we assume that everybody else is having that same thought. I hear people all the time, well, I can't go to church. Everybody knows what I've done. I don't know what you've done. But because they're rehearsing those thoughts of condemnation all the time, They think that we all must have those same thoughts. I love this in the writer of Hebrews um, when he was talking about what church is like. He says this in Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. I think if there's any verse that should define our church, it's this one right here. We're a people that aren't gathering together to judge you, but we're a people who are gathering together to see how inventive we can be on showing people love, grace, mercy. We're not here to point out your flaws or your mistakes. We're here to lift you up. And the truth is, it's that he without sin cast the first stone. In other words, none of us have any stones to throw because we've all been there. Nobody's here to judge you. Nobody's here to put you down. We're here to encourage you to root you on, to see you accomplish all that God's called you to do. But so many times, the more fingers that we point at ourselves, we feel like everybody else is pointing the finger back at us. And see, the point of condemnation in that thought is it wants to keep you isolated and alone. Because as long as you're isolated and alone, it can keep letting you cycle over these negative thoughts. But when you come together in an atmosphere of love and grace like this, you begin to find freedom and begin to realize you don't have to live this way anymore. The next slide that condemnation will tell us is that you are the only one. You are the only one. I was talking to a lady on Friday and... She was telling me about some struggles and difficulties that she's going through in her life and she said, "I just feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I'm the only one who's battling with these things." And I thought, "Man, that's so sad." And I told her, I said, "You're not the only one who battles with this. Everybody has problems like this. You're not there's not something weird or makes you a freak. You're just normal. You're a normal person having normal problems." I was talking to another lady on Wednesday, and she was telling me about how they've been having marriage problems and some difficulties. And she said, when I got into a small group and other people began to talk about their problems, I began to realize we're not that messed up after all. But don't we think that everybody lives in homes where they don't fight or argue or bicker? But that's not the case at all. You are not the only one. So how do we overcome this? First thing is we repent. We repent. We repent. Acts 319 tells us, repent so that times of refreshing may come. If you're going through a season in life where everything feels heavy, friend, you're not following Jesus, you're following condemnation. Conviction reminds you of who you are in Christ. Condemnation reminds you of who you are not. And so if you hear those heavy thoughts, just stop and just pause and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done and move on. Amen. So you repent. And the second thing is stop entertaining those negative thoughts. Stop entertaining. As soon as those negative thoughts come to your mind, remind yourself of who you are in him, who you are in Jesus. There was a lady who literally quit smoking by doing this one thing. Every time she would smoke a cigarette, she would just declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She's sitting there smoking the cigarette and she's like, Lord, I thank you that you're stronger than this addiction that you're delivering me. One morning she woke up, she went to light her cigarette and all of a sudden she felt like, I don't need this anymore. But it didn't happen by rehearsing negative thoughts. It happened by rehearsing what God says about her. And as she put on righteousness, righteous is what she became. And so I love this because here Paul is as we close. And in Romans 8, he starts out telling us that there is now therefore now no condemnation. And he ends it in five questions on Romans 8, 31 through 35. Are you ready? He says this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? In other words, if somebody's messing with you, they're messing with God. It's kind of like that coach from the other team. He was messing with my kid. He was messing with me. But it says this, who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the very presence of God at this moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. You know what I love about this whole thing is Paul is reiterating one thing. Who? Who can separate? Who could drive a wedge? His main thing is who, not what. But who? And a lot of times I I think about this and I think about John chapter 8 and here the woman is caught in the act of adultery. And the Bible tells us Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says they left one by one. You know, if you're going to begin to live in freedom, you have to dismiss your accusers. You have to let them leave one by one. Who is the who that's been holding you back from living in freedom? Is it anger? Is it guilt, resentment, self-loathing? Or let me ask you a question. Is the who you? Are you so disappointed with yourself? Are you the one that's been holding on to that dark cloud, that condemnation? Friend, I want to tell you that today Jesus wants you to live in freedom. At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at thechurchrc.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thechurchrc. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, you can email us at amen at thechurchrc.com.